RV, recreational vehicle, autobus, the tin can, motor caravan, motor home, camper, the rolling palace, the caravan of courage, the United States of a merry caravan, adventure van, Casa Rodante. These are all names for motorhomes. Um, things that typically you would rent or maybe um, somebody might have and you might borrow it from them to go on a trip, a vacation, things like that. However, the people we're talking with today, um, they got a motorhome and I, th I believe it's used maybe once in a while for a vacation, but it's more of a ministry RV. Now, let me explain what I mean by this. Every Christmas uh, on past, a little bit past the New Year, um, they will get a group of people together in this RV and take it down to Mexico to minister to some of the churches down there. Now, while this happens, um, there are <laughs> several um several crazy adventures that always take place and it's always seems to be pretty nuts um, there's never a trip that doesn't have stories um, now this isn't they're not from texas or somewhere that's like right along the border like california or anything like that they're from obets ohio so being there down to mexican uh, the mexican border is a little bit of a haul it can be a little bit of a trip and typically as you kind of hear in the podcast it can be anywhere from 24 to 26 hours um, and that's that's what it should be however the trips always seem to take a turn where there is um, some sort of engine failure or something's going wrong with the motorhome and now there's two uh, there's a second couple at the church. Uh, their names are Bob and Angie Lovett, and they have an RV as well. So somehow, some way, this crazy RV mission is growing. Now, how in the world could an RV mission trip, an RV uh, ministry, grow? I mean, that typically RVs are typically something that you rent or lease or something like that. For a vacation really quick and then you're done or it's something that we typically find that uh, the older generation will get and you know they've been saving up their whole life they buy this thing and now they can go and travel and do all they want to but typically you don't look at an RV and go yeah I'm gonna buy one of those because I want to use that for missions um, that's <laughs> that's typically not not the thought process behind it however this couple uh, have uh, they're Scott and Sabrina Ramsey. They're awesome people. They're they're great friends of mine, and um, it's been really cool to see them as they have got this RV. Um, and I believe they for a brief stint they had a, a school bus, not a full size one, a short bus. Um, they bought this school bus and then had it for a while and did sort of the same type of deal. So for a while they had a school bus, a short school bus and a motorhome, um, amongst many other vehicles. But yes, they had those things and then they shipped the school bus 
they basically wouldn't ship it, but they, they sent the school bus along and gave it to a group that were going to a church down in Mexico um, to use for day in, day out use. So I think a lot of times when we think about um, what do we give to mission trips or what, <laughs> what do churches need down there? A lot of times we don't think about like school buses, things like that. But, you know, we'll get these crazy callings upon our life and we're not sure exactly why or anything like that. God's doing that. And we sometimes I think might look at it and go, that's so crazy. That's so outrageous that that can't be God calling me to that. That has to be something else. However, this couple are proof that God uh, can speak and call you to things that are totally outside of the box, um, totally are different, that might be a motorhome going to Mexico. Now, one of the unique things about this is when, and I've been on one of these mission trips as well, it's pretty stinking awesome. Um, you get to know the people that are on that RV a lot better than you think you would. <laughs> That's for sure. Because when you're riding with someone um, for, you know, our trip, I think it was 32 hours or something like that. When you're riding with them, when you're doing that, um, it takes a lot of turns and you had a lot of twists and things like that that took place. The engine was like burning orange hot and it was just crazy to see. So... But when you do that and you go down to Mexico or wherever it might be and you have ministries like a soccer ministry that's down there and it's really cool to see um, ministry stepping in and using a part of their culture to minister to them. And it's something so simple that a lot of times I think we miss and I think a lot of times we as Americans will view it as, um, I'm going to go to this country and I know what they need because, you know, I'm back in America and they need to be more like me. So I'm going to give them things that make sense to me and then they're going to get it. They're going to understand it. And I'm going to, in case they don't, I'm going to go on a mission trip and try to have them be like my culture and that way they can then know the right way to do it which is such a messed up mentality because they don't necessarily have whoever it is. They don't have a wrong mentality. They don't have a wrong culture or anything like that. Uh, in fact, what we need to be doing is to learning what their culture is and meeting needs where they're at. They may not have a need for some of the things that we think they do. And I think a lot of times, and Sabrina kind of mentions it on the podcast as well, that we had, we think we can come in with all this money, throw money at this problem, the situation, and make it better. And somehow that that is going to uh, enhance their lives and things like that, when that's not it at all. In fact, a lot of times it's not about going down there, giving them stuff necessarily, although, I mean, th that doesn't hurt. But a lot of times it's going down there and building relationships or going wherever and building relationships. That's the important part. Uh, in fact, when Jesus says to go into all the world, he doesn't say to go into all the world and evangelize necessarily, although we should. When we're talking about the Great Commission, he says to go into all the world and make disciples. And discipleship is a relational type of deal. Discipleship is a one-on-one -on -one 
um, a teaching. Um, it's you know it's not it's not a one and done type of deal. It's a continual relationship that takes place where you're looking at the one person as that's going to be who I'm going to invest in. I'm going to pour my life into that person. I'm going to make sure that they understand who Jesus is because of the way I live my life and because I'm going to be a support system for them no matter what. And discipleship a lot of times can be a scary thing because we look at it as, I think, a lot of times, at least, you know, I did, as education. And there is an educational side to it. But a lot of times we view discipleship as a class. If you take a class, you're going to then be discipled. You're going to know how to disciple. And then you'll be good to go and we can send you off. And that's not the case. The class is good. The class is not a bad thing. Um, we, in fact, my wife and I just got done teaching a discipleship class. It's not a bad thing. But the problem that we run into is, is that we just view it as we're going to throw some education at it and then it's going to be done. That'll be fine. And then at the end of it, you need to be discipled and figure out this discipleship thing. Because if you don't, then you must have done something wrong. And that's not the case. The best way we learn how to do something is by watching someone's life who is doing it already. You know, I think about this whenever, you know, you want to start like a new sport um, or I don't know, something where there are like professionals at it. You know, I'm not going to go to the guy who doesn't know what he's doing and ask him about it. I'm going to watch professionals. I'm going to watch, you know, I'm going to get on um, TV and and YouTube or whatever it is. I'm going to watch the professionals and see what they do, see how they uh, perform at their sport, um, different methods, techniques, things like that that they do. So that way, when I go to try that sport, when I go to attempt to even, you know, master any kind of skill, I'm not doing it with incorrect form. I'm not doing it with incorrect methods. Um, I'm not doing it because... um, I think this way will be better and it's totally opposite of what they're doing. No, I've watched the I've watched the people that are already in it. I've watched the people that do it day in and day out and by watching them, I understand how to do it properly. And when I see them do it properly, I can mimic that and do that properly as well and I can see the results that they're getting as well. So a discipleship, I look at that as the same type of deal. See, we go in and we think we can just throw a book at someone and say, figure it out. People come into their church, they'll get saved, we hand them a Bible and say, good luck. But too often, we, a lot of times, will need to pull them under our wing. Show them what Jesus has done in our life. Show them how he's moving. Show them how, he, show them how he's real to us. Um, how he's continually moving, how he's just shaking the ground that we're walking on because he will continually just seem to mess things up in our life and we can't understand it, but then he has this grand plan and it comes together and it's just amazing. Show them that, how Jesus is active. There's an educational standpoint to it. There's an educational aspect to it, but the main thing is the one-on-one. Now, the one-on-one a lot of times, too, can be extremely dangerous because that means you're going to be giving some stuff up. 
You know, you might be giving up sleep. You might be giving up, um, you know, going to things. Uh, you might be giving up money. You might be giving up all this, you know, free time, all this stuff because you're investing in somebody. And investing in people can be a dangerous thing sometimes because a lot of times, um, you know, they'll just, you'll be so excited about something and then, you know, they might let you down. And let me tell you, never, I've learned this, never ever look at, at a follower of Jesus as Jesus because Jesus is consistent. Jesus is always there. Jesus will never leave you. And a lot of times I think we look at people that are mentors, people that are um, discipling us, and we look at them and then they mess up. And a lot of times we'll view that as, well, if they're doing that, then that must be that must be how Jesus is. Not the case. In fact, I'm going to tell you, if you have somebody that does mentor you, they're going to mess up for sure. They're going to let you down. They're going to do something where you look at them and go, whoa, I never thought I would ever see that out of you. Um, I, I'm kind of let down. People are going to let you down. But let me tell you this. Jesus will never fail you. Um, people will always just somehow, some way, and you'll, you won't see it coming either. That's the thing that just blows me away. You will not see it coming. And then all of a sudden on something that you thought was just so set in stone, they will totally just let you down. And you're like, how did, how in the world you, you're the one who's been telling me all this. You're the one who's even told me in the area that you let me down. You're the one who's been saying this, but then you go and let me down. What's that about? because they're human. I've learned that several times. There's been several people that I has mentored me and things like that. And, and I look at their life and I go, geez, what a letdown. I mean, come on. That's awful. What's wrong with you? I thought you were better than this. But people are human. So now I got off on that tangent about discipleship. We're going to talk with Scott and Sabrina today. I love them to death. They are awesome people. Um, they are so willing and open to do what God has them to do, no matter how weird or crazy it might be. Scott's definitely the dreamer. Sabrina's definitely the one that brings him back down to reality. And it works. It's awesome. And it's awesome to be friends with them and to watch how God uses them uh, in ministry and in other people's lives that they affect. I love them to death. I know that you guys will too. So let's start the show. Yes. <laughs> you got me straight up tripping, boo. You dipping and dapping and don't know what's happening. They was grabbing hankies waving blankies they was running them aisles up in there i respect your opinion but you're wrong pants on the mission field since 2003 nick jones thanks for joining us today um got nick jones here and with me i have a, a duo in essence of scott and sabrina ramsey 
and uh, we're excited to talk with them. They have a slightly different type of ministry than the norm, um, a little bit outside of the box. Thanks for joining us, guys. You're welcome. No problem, Nick. We would do it for a friend. Yeah, that's sweet of you. So <laughs> I've known you guys since how long has it been? 2003 in June. In June of 2003. It's yes. been quite a while. Um, and we went to Costa Rica, did a mission trip there. And then you guys kind of started doing something a little bit different with missions. Ever, Just a little. Ever so slightly. Why don't you tell us what you guys do that is a little bit different with your missions? Uh, we do it biblically. Okay. And what would that entail? <laughs> um, well... We, sorry, my face wasn't close enough to the microphone. <laughs> um, we work with a group of uh, believers who gets into a large motorized vehicle, and we travel to foreign destinations where we uh, try to connect on a more relationship-based uh, ministry with either the church or the neighborhood or the city that we're working in. The, uh, the goal of this mission organization that we join with is to not simply come in and show how rich and awesome us Americans are, but to join in and teach and build relationships and begin projects and not bring projects to completion, but rather start them and teach them how to implement the changes themselves so they can take ownership and pride and carry on everything that was uh, shared with them and everything that they learned. How long have you guys been doing that? Oh, my goodness. Six years. Six years. So you, you grab a whole bunch of crazy people like yourselves. Correct. Throw them in a motorhome. Correct. Drive how many hours? Uh, uh, <laughs> the the, the Are there sinners in the camp or not? <laughs> the <Well>. advertised... <laughs> Time is 24 hours to 26 hours, oh. but that's not always the uh, actual realized uh, trip. Yeah. Uh, why, Sabrina, why don't you expand on why that might be? There, there well, the, could be... the Bible talks about uh, how sin doesn't directly just affect us. It affects those that are around us. And I believe that you simply just cannot go on a mission trip because you want to go on vacation and hang out with your friends. You have to go because God is calling you. And in order to be a reflection and to represent him on the field, you have to be Christ-like in your manner. So if you are not prepared to go and you're not Christ-like in your attitude, then you're going to do more damage than good. So you're telling me you should probably be called to a mission trip than to just go on a vacation. Well, everyone's called to go on, on a mission trip. Well, Jesus himself said, go here, Yeah. go a little bit further, Yeah. and then go to the world. Okay. So it may not be this specific mission trip yeah. that you were to go on, but he didn't say if you feel like it or when you get around to it, yeah. he said go. But you shouldn't go because you want a vacation. No, it's not a just, vacation. Yeah. You take vacation time, but it's definitely not a vacation. Yeah. So, what are some of the stuff you guys do? You go down typically to Mexico, right? With the RV, yes, that's uh, the RV to Mexico, and then where we've been going most of the time. You went to Brazil last summer. Yeah, we've been to the Dominican, 
Uh, we've been to Costa Rica, mm-hmm. Brazil, and then uh, mostly to Mexico lately. What? Okay, so when you get there, you drive the RV, <laughs> estimated 24 to 26, real 30-some to 30-some, maybe 40 if you're lucky, hours down there. You get there, then what? Then you do repairs quickly on everything that broke on the RV on the way down. (laughs) Tire repairs, belts, air conditioning, oil changes. And then you focus on on what you're going to do for the week. Then you – well, then before that, though, there's the crossing the border. Yes. Which is interesting. Yeah. There's never a border crossing that is the same. Every single time you go down, something is different, something is new. There's no, quote, unquote, routine – border crossing yeah i would i wouldn't think going into mexico there would be a routine border crossing, especially when you have an rv full of like 17 gringos um and they are not used to seeing that cross the border they're used to seeing it go the other way (laughs) they're like wait yeah you can come in yeah that's fine okay so this is one of the things i find absolutely just mind-blowing when you drive any automobile down there, you have to have a permiso. Yes. Okay. Typically, how long are the permisos? 180 days, six months. Okay. How long is your permiso? Uh, our permiso is for 10 years. So that's one zero years. Correct. How did this happen? We don't know. <laughs> I do. It was God. <laughs> yeah. So, so now, you got this how many times? Because you got this once... And then you went down again, and you had a trailer or something, right? Yeah, originally we got it for just the RV. Yeah. Um, it was Permiso in Mexico. They gave us a 10-year Permiso. Uh, they started seeing us come through with a trailer multiple times. Yeah. And they told us finally that we couldn't come in anymore unless we had the trailer attached to the Permiso. So we'd have to cancel out our original one and get a new one. And we were kind of distraught because it was by the grace of God that we got a 10-year Permiso yeah, the, first the first time. place. Yeah, and so we went into the office to get the second permiso. And the lady was kind of confused of why we were trying to cancel out a 10-year permiso <laughs> because they don't have 10-year permisos. Yeah. And we were really lucky to have a 10-year yeah. permiso. <laughs> um, she called her boss, and the conversation more or less went this way. Yes, I know we don't have them, but they've got one, so we have to give him another one because he has one. <laughs> It proves to me that our bureaucracy isn't the only ones yeah. that don't have it together. <laughs> their their logic was, well, he has one, so we have to give it to him again. We can't take it away from him. Yeah. We got to give him another one. So they gave us another 10-year permiso. Another, so really, it wasn't... You had a 10-year permiso. Really, in essence, that got extended. Correct. Ridiculous. And then this last year, we went down with another RV. So our second RV, owned by Bob and Angie Lovett, mm-hmm. uh, who joined with us in the ministry. And... Um, on the paperwork, they wrote 180 days on the paperwork. And um, and then I asked her, I said, so that's for 10 years, correct? And she says, yeah, yeah, we'll give it to you for 10 years. And even though the paperwork said 180 days, they printed it out for 10 years. Oh, did you happen to get the name of that young lady to go back to her <laughs> time and time and time again, every missionary possible? Missionaries don't believe you either, do they? No. No, they have a very, they, everybody who knows anything about doing any kind of mission work or bringing vehicle transportation into Mexico, I'll stop by and marvel and look at our (laughs) display. (gasps) Where did you get that? (laughs) 
Jesus. Right. He said, I want you going here for a while. So now is that permiso transferable to any, any vehicle? No, no, it's just for that. So it's vehicle. just that RV. And the trailer now. And the trailer, yes, and the trailer, awesome. So, okay, we're across the border. Now, what are diff- the different ministries that you guys do down there? We get to participate in multiple ministries because of the large crowd that we typically meet up with in the winter over Christmas. We have several medical teams, so we have two doctors and several nurses that go around and do uh, medical clinics at different churches. Mm-hmm. This gives the church visibility within the community. Yeah. So not only are they opening their church to be a hospital for the soul, they're also meeting their needs where they are physically. We also do some minor construction. We also participate in Vacation Bible School, uh, partnering with the local church. Sure. We don't come and run the VBS. We come as an assistance. Um and then Scott, who's a loose cannon, and drives around and does soccer clinics. We basically walk through the neighborhoods in the morning, just invite people to the local like park or the local soccer field, and um, tell them that they can come play some soccer with us. We strike up. Come play of, soccer with the gringos. Yeah, impromptu games. Um, <laughs> and then we'll uh, either do some like one-on-one ministry or present the gospel, just depending on kind of how you know it's led and kind of the vibe of that day and um we've had very good success with it uh to the point where you know the churches come around they ask for the you know hermano state football that's one of the one one of the things they really want because it's such a dynamic draw to the church yeah so in essence what you're doing is you're taking something that's very popular there you're going there and doing that and since you're so weird looking because you're a gringo they're drawn in and then you get a chance to present the guy what do you use when you're when you're doing the soccer ministry, what is it you typically use to present the gospel? Well, um, it really depends on the crowd. Um, we like to have some of our people give testimonies, mm-hmm. um, kind of relate to them on a personal level, their experiences. Um, if we have a local pastor, a local layperson, you know, from the church, a teenager or a high school kid, you mm-hmm. know, um, who's there to give help, give the testimony or present the gospel. Um, we use the, uh, the little uh, Evangel cube, which is like the little Jesus story through a box that rotates. Mm-hmm. Um, or we use um, like the Evangel ball, which is a, a soccer ball in the colors of the wordless book. Yeah. Um, so we ask them the significance of those and then kind of try to apply it to their life. Not just go through the story, but like actually talk about what the colors are application wise. By rounding them up and telling them you're going to take a group photo <laughs> and then you sneak the gospel in. Yeah, we sneak the gospel in on them like, hey, come here for a photo and here's Jesus. In case you didn't know, we don't have candy, but we have Jesus and he's a lot sweeter. And pinatas. We uh, minister oh. a lot with pinatas in Mexico. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, so when you're down there, you're doing this, what has been kind of the the result of doing the soccer ministry because the soccer ministry, obviously going to Mexico in an RV is not a norm ministry to do. You get down there, you're doing soccer ministry. How effective have you seen this be down there? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's very effective. Um, one of the big things is just the relationship year over year that you get with the churches. Yeah. We try to partner with churches for over like a two-year period. Okay. So it's not just like a one-and-done trip. We try so to, you go back the next year. Yeah. Okay. Or even multiple times throughout those two years. Yeah. Building relationships, more of a dynamic impact than mm-hmm. just a, a one-and-done. 
Um, and to give you an example, we were at one church and we had this uh, kind of culmination game called Super Classico, where all the Mexicans played all the Americans in one huge game. It was like a 18 on 22. Like it was a huge, like just free for all. <laughs> and I believe you were in the first I was. Super Classico. And we won. Yes. Just for the record, we won. So the next year, I appreciate you not coming, but um, <laughs> the uh, we get off the bus and there was 20 kids lined up in cleats and jerseys waiting for us. Oh. They wouldn't even allow us to like do anything. They're like, all right, rematch Super Classico now. And they literally marched us out to, we couldn't even go in to like set our stuff down in the church. They marched us out to the field and then soundly beat us like 11 to 1. Yeah, how sweet. So all year long, you've been not practicing. All year long, they've been waiting. Yeah, they, they had a little tear-off calendar in their wall. Oh. And, you know. What's interesting about that story is that we need to learn to bring ministry in the language that they speak there. Yeah. Not not assume we know what's best for the ministry there, but soccer is the language that they speak in Mexico. Yeah, absolutely. And by speaking their language, you can bring Christ to them and 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 becoming a part of their culture and immersing into their culture, then you develop friendships and and that's what speaks more than Hey, I'm this rich white American, and I want to come in and give you all this money because your life is horrible and mine's great, and I now I feel good about myself. <laughs> you mean that doesn't work? No. Oh. One of the rules I have on the mission field, and people kind of laugh at it, and we kind of joke about it, but it really has a, a deeper spiritual meaning. Is the rule number one on the mission field is make friends with the cook. That's true. And as anybody you know that goes on a mission field knows that that's a good rule because you want to you know, have those extra food packets sent home from you on sites that you visited before. But really what it does is it gives you um, a deeper connection to those people who are there helping serve with you. And it really kind of ties in that relationship. And it gives you, like Sabrina said, another language to speak with them. Sure. The language of food, talking about what they like, you know, how you make different meals. And it's just something that like ministering through the kitchen you know, for the hands. Even if you don't speak the language very well. Yeah, but everyone knows how to speak the language of food. It's yeah, it's pretty universal. Yeah, that's true. A, a big smile on the face is typically a good thing. Now, okay, how well do you guys speak Spanish while we're on that topic? How? Uh, I'm horrible. Scott, so Scott, you would say that you're strongly not mediocre. Yeah, I'm strongly less than mediocre. So you offend every old person there. Um, amazingly, no. I should offend you everyone. You should. Yes. They um, all laugh at him, in front of him, <laughs> and behind his back. Yes. But the good, it works, unfortunately. The good news is, for some um, reason, it, it always works. It helps us through border crossings. It helps us. Yeah. Tell, why don't you tell, tell people who are listening what you, you told us something when we were going through, like the, we went through the border, and there's a, like a checkpoint. Correct, a 30-kilometer uh, 30 checkpoint. And I, I'll never forget this. And we're sitting there, and, you know, down there, there's it's not uncommon for guys to just be walking around the M16s or whatever down there. And they get they stopped us, and so you told us what? Well, um, which occasion? Is this the – I have You many. said don't – even if you do speak Spanish. Oh, yeah, even if you don't – there's people – sometimes we have people on our bus that are fluent in Spanish. Yeah. And we tell them that while we're going through border crossings, they don't speak Spanish. You don't speak Spanish. No matter what, only people that we're speak. We're not asking people to lie. We're just not. We just, just remain silent. 
try yeah, yeah just please remain silent because um the border crossing can take six to eight hours yeah or it can take three minutes so, well, we but prefer, this is after the border crossing. Three, this is the 50 kilometer checkpoint. Yeah, the 50 kilometer so checkpoint. We prefer three minutes. Three minutes. Eight yeah. hours. So Listen. you told us that. And then what happened? And then the lady at the little booth asked me, uh, like, for the toll. There's like a toll on the quota. It's like a toll road. Yeah. And that, that's right at the checkpoint. And she asked me for the toll. And I mean, I know what I said. <laughs> I also know what he said. He meant to say... What I said was, you know, I don't have any pesos. All I have is dollars. That's what you meant to say. No, that's what I said. She understood it completely. That's, that's, yeah. No, that's okay. not what he said. In Spanish, he said, I have many pains, but you have no pesos. <laughs> do you remember, How do you... For anybody that is Spanish speaking, how would you say that in Spanish? How, or how, what's the proper way, Scott, to say that in Spanish? I still don't know. Okay, but, but how did um, you say it? I think I said something like, um, I only, uh, yo tengo solo dolores, no tiene pesos, or yep. something like that. That sounds good. And I remember I was sitting across from our translator, Chris. Who, who and, is a native speaker. Who is a native speaker, and he looks at me and whispers under his breath, I don't think he means to say what he think he just said, because he just told her that she has... No pesos, and he has many pains. He has, she has no dollars, and he has many pains. And I'm like, yeah, he didn't. I don't, I don't think he meant to say that. But somehow we got through. Yeah, she took my money and passed us through, though, didn't yeah. she? Well, I was really thinking of the other time when we're sitting there, and we're going into Mexico. That was when we were leaving. We're going oh, into Mexico. Okay. And they come on, come on the RV with the M16s and whatnot, and they look at you, say something in Spanish, and then you say... Uh, Sabinas. No, you, before that, you Ohio. Go, you, go, you you yell. It was like you were yelling at them as though that was going to help. And I, I know it was on purpose. Oh, that's Ohio. Yeah. And the guy, I, I'll never forget this. The guy just kind of drops his head in his hands like. Kind of like, I got to deal with this stupid gringo. Yeah, we found that if you just say where you're from like seven times, <laughs> they just eventually let you go through. So really the real strategy is if you annoy them enough, if you're kind, but annoy them enough. Yeah. Annoy them with kindness. Annoy them with kindness and, and say it's for the kids. You're golden. Yeah. Right. And speak broken Spanish. Or no Spanish at all. No, or no, <laughs> no Spanish at all. Think you're speaking the correct Spanish. That's good. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, if you're ever thinking of going on a mission trip and you're like, I don't speak the language. Apparently that's not a that's not an issue. Not a that's nope, not nope, a not a prerequisite for our mission trips. For a short-term mission trip. Not at all. And <laughs> and you would think after let's just say maybe even 3 years, 4 years of doing this, some Spanish would creep in. Not a bit. Not a bit. Not a lick of it. We're still we're what our our goal is to to really test the gift of tongues. Don't group me in with that. I'm pretty good with Spanish. <laughs> That's my my goal is to really test that gift of modern gift of tongues. The modern gift of tongues. Let's just see how this works. See if you got this, Jesus. So it's awesome. So okay, you guys are gonna be doing this for the next few years. You have a second RV. When looking back, before you guys even did this, um, when did you guys know this is what we're supposed to do? We are supposed to get a group full of crazy people, drive an RV to Mexico, 
and minister to people in Mexico. When did you guys, because I got a good feeling you weren't on the same page right away. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, or maybe not. I don't know. When did, when did you know? One of us has this habit of coming up with um, these dreams and these visions of what God has laid on our heart. And then one of us is more realistic and planning and logistically minded. Um, that would be me. I would be the planner. You're the planner, huh? And the, the more grounded one of the group. <laughs> now, is that are you trying to speak in Spanish now? Is that with that broken? Yeah, I don't yeah. understand anything he's saying. <laughs> Where's my interpreter, please? No, um... Actually, it goes back to that permiso that um, we had had the dream of the RV. I had the dream and I expressed it to my wife. We kind of got on on this. We had so many like fleeces that we had laid out where God had just not just answered them, but like over answered. Yeah. We got an RV with 700 miles on it. <laughs> okay. For $5,500. Um, no, and then up. someone donated the day we were leaving for our first trip, donated a generator so that we would have air conditioning and power on the way. Oh. Um, like literally it pulled into the parking lot from the generator service company. We boarded and left. Um, just all these different things that God had blessed us with. And yet as we're driving to Mexico the first time in my mind, I'm still saying, what, what are we doing? You know, is this really, <laughs> really what is going on? Yeah. We've, we've always had the call to missions, but God never laid out a plan for us. God sat back and anticipated us to take each step in faith. So as each step we took, he revealed more and more of his plan to us. He did not come out to us and say, here's the full plan. Here's the full plan. Yeah. No. So there was never a moment in time where we can look back and say, this, this is what we knew. And this is what God told us. And these are the steps we took. We had the call to missions. We started taking steps in faith and it just kind of, it's still that way. Right. Yeah. We, we added, we didn't know. We said, are we going to be able to fill another RV if we get one? You know, will there be enough people to actually make it work? Yeah. We announced we were getting another RV with Bob and Angie. And then it was a month and the thing was full. Like right. we didn't have an empty seat. And, and Now, how many total people do you take? We try to take only 15, but we've been bouncing between 13 per and 16. RV. Per yeah. RV. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're walking in faith. You have this RV and you're still kind of like, yeah, not knowing what it is. And we went in to go to the Permiso office. And um, I remember I was nervous because at that time we were kind of crossing the border on our own with yeah. no missionary help. We were going to kind of meet them after the fact. And yeah. Kind of there. And um, everyone had told me we were getting a six month Permiso or they could just not give you one at all. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, of course. And. They, they told me it was for 10 years. I'm walking out of the Permiso office and I'm in tears. And and it, like God just said, it just laid on my heart. He's like, well, now you know what you're doing for the next 10 years. And it was just kind of like that. Oh, so this is what we're supposed to be doing. You know, got it. Got it. But not really at the, even at that time, it wasn't revealed to what extent we were going to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. There's going to be, I don't even want to say younger people, but people that are looking to possibly take steps of faith, people that are maybe going to answer a call for the first time, maybe going into ministry initially, whatever it may be. What is some some of, of the best advice that you've received or that you've just learned along the way 
that you can pass on to anybody who may be looking to do something different. Because a lot of what we talk about on this podcast is not the norm of minutes, not a Sunday and Wednesday type of deal. This is totally weird, but it works. It's extremely effective. So what would be some advice that you would give them? I would say that God deals in the extraordinary, not the ordinary. And so we put our human wisdom and limitations on God and, and what he can do and what he can do through us. And oftentimes he lays out these big visions and dreams and we say, oh, no, I can't do that. And we are and selfish in our approach and don't remember that we need to remove ourselves from the equation. And the truth is you can't do it. Yeah. That's the whole point about it. You can't do it. It's and we think it's up to us to, to facilitate what God's asking us to do. Yeah. All He wants is a vessel to do it through. He's yeah. like, I got this. I'm not yeah, gonna yeah. call you. It's that's that whole thing. God never puts any more on you than you can handle. Yes, He does. Or there'd be no point of God. Yeah, God can handle it. Yeah, He can handle it. Yeah, not you. Yeah, it's not your problem. It's His problem. Yeah. <laughs> you look back through through the Old Testament and you look through the New Testament. Anytime there was dynamic change, it was something crazy. Yeah. God never asked them to do something normal, no. you know, or if it was normal, it was so abnormally normal that it still boggled your mind. Yeah. You know, it hey, was go build a boat, go tie 150 foxes tails together and set them on fire. Yeah. <laughs> Walk around the city. That's what will win the war. And then do it seven times. Send your choir out front because that's how you beat the enemy. Go hook up with that prostitute over there. She's going to help you guys get through. <laughs> you know, those are the ways God does things. So but for some reason, we think God has changed and, you know, he no longer is the God of, of big and mighty, awesome plans and extraordinary measures and change. And in our humanity, we make him so small. Do you feel like nowadays, at least in the States, that we tend to, as Christians, play it too safe? Very. Oh, Absolutely. We, because we're we're afraid of what we might factor happen. our four hundred one k into everything, right? And a Christian four hundred one k. I don't want to step out in faith because then I look like an idiot when this fails. Yeah, like people will like God's telling me this, but you know if I do it and it doesn't really work, well, you know yeah. I'm gonna look like a goofball. Well, no, yeah. I mean you're a goofball anyway. But yeah. <laughs> okay, what? Give me a time that was like one of the craziest times you've had on a mission trip that was just like a story that you're like what you're just it's just kind of just a nuts story maybe a funny something funny happened or something like that where it just stands out i had a we had a feet washing ceremony and we were washing the feet of those that had served and those that were around us and I had a Mexican that I had never met before crying and came up and washed my feet and thanked me for sacrificing and coming down there. And you want to talk about a humbling experience. My goodness, that was an incredibly humbling experience. Um, they like to throw down at New Year's. Yeah, I, so, was, I would say uh, one of the craziest was a while back they used to let us drive around New Year's Eve and go from church to church, and we'd have evening services. And we went to one at about 8 o'clock at night, and then we had an hour travel to another yeah. uh, church to right at midnight. 
And that was probably one of the craziest nights we've been in Mexico, driving through, seeing like all the fires that were lit in <laughs> celebration. They weren't like bad. Like that's how yeah. they celebrate. They just have bonfires everywhere. Yeah, they do of, it right in Mexico on New Year's. Yeah. And then the pastor was preaching. It was getting about 1148. And between 1149 and 1215, you couldn't hear a word the pastor said because <laughs> it just sounded like mortar shells going off. Yeah. And the kids were running outside, lighting off fireworks, and then running back into church. And we walked out, and then there was graffiti on our door. Well, yeah. Why would there not be? So it was that was one of the craziest, like, nights. And then we had to drive home through all that. Yeah, well, yeah, that's not scary at all. Yeah, the, they kind of put an end to uh, us driving around on New Year's he Eve. He squelched it. Yeah. Um, I remember you telling me the one story about the piano that was pretty awesome, too. Yeah, that was a humbling experience for Scott. That was where um, God reminded me that uh, he was in control and I wasn't Yeah, of this whole thing. Sometimes yeah. I get cocky and like, oh, I got this whole missions thing down. Yeah, And uh, <laughs> there's a lady in our church who likes to donate stuff on a regular basis. And sometimes, you know, that can be overbearing. <laughs> and one day she said that she had a piano to give to Mexico. I didn't really want to take it. So I thought I could get out of it by just saying, well, I'll talk to the missionary down there and see if yeah. he needs it. The need was an emphatic yes. So I was kind of stuck. And then we had to figure out how to get a piano to Mexico. Not a small one either, was it? It was like an upright piano. It weighed a few hundred pounds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we got it down to Mexico to a guy who had a church entirely of children, about 40 to 45 kids every Sunday, just kids. He and his wife started a church and only kids came. So they just stuck with it. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to teach him how to play the piano and to have music on Sunday. Of course, yeah. Uh, we get there, um, get the piano delivered. Um, he was kind of sad because, you know, he didn't really have anyone to tune the piano. And then one of the girls on our soccer team said, well, my dad's a licensed piano tuner. And God just keeps hitting me like, not only do I provide the piano ahead of time, I know that somebody needs it. I'm also, just, just so you know, I'm also going to send out a licensed piano tuner so that after it travels to Mexico in the back of a trailer, it'll be tuned for these people. And he just kind of kept reminding me that, hey, I got this whole deal. Yeah. Kind of one of those things where it's like, are you sure? It's a piano. It's Mexico. Come on. Yeah. So so now, now we don't turn anything down that people actually say, <laughs> what are we doing? We want to send an accordion down. Yep, bring it on. That's bring good. On. Accordions, really. If you have accordions, anyone here is accordions. Accordions are big in Mexico. We'll take them. That, that would be awesome to see. I'd love to see that. So, all right. Well, um, do you guys have any uh, shameless plugs? Do you want to plug any ministries, any businesses, any shout outs? Because I know that you guys do college and career at church as well. I would just like to give big mad props to my church, Obet's Church of the Nazarene, with um, without their their prayer and support and um, emphasis on missions and missions as a lifestyle. We wouldn't be able to fulfill the dreams that we've been having. So they're a great congregation. They've got wonderful ministries for children, for youth, for young adults, which Scott and I participate in. Um, marriage, discipleship. Uh, I don't want to say elderly, but maybe in the twilight of their years. Mature. Mature. They have a mature crowd service. <laughs> uh, but we've got a ministry that can fill 
any need that anybody has. Life recovery, Bible study, prayer group. So that's a big shout out to that church. As far as the missions, um, we work closely with uh, the group Nazarene Border Initiative. Mm-hmm. They're out of El Paso, Texas. Um, a, uh, Roberto and Reza, um, they kind of head that up. And they do a fabulous job of setting up our trips, co- helping us coordinate the trips uh, in through the border and into Mexico, all along the border area. Um, you can check them out. They're on Facebook and all those, you know, MySpaces. If MySpace is still Social around, media MySpace? Social media outlets. Yeah, MySpace. You don't have a MySpace account? I I think I did, but I don't know. Is your MySpace account still valid? Because I never really canceled mine. I don't. I don't know that I did either. We should check that out afterwards. I'm a little afraid. Yeah, me too. To see what pictures might be on there. Something you might need to do. You might need to clean that whole MySpace <laughs> account out. In case I ever run for any kind of office. Yeah. I don't oh, know I hope you do. Yeah, that would be something special. I'm sure they'll list- pay me off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some hush money on this account. Oh, I'd just be wide open with it. I'd be telling your secrets, dude. <laughs> well, there was one time I'm I'm saved from that now, but there was this one chick. <laughs> two two words that that keep you from running from um, office: Deer Creek. Oh, that's a whole other podcast. So, well, thanks for joining us today. I uh, really appreciate you guys. Appreciate everything you're doing. Um, and uh, if you guys have any questions about that, we're going to include information uh, in the hyperlink that is linked to this podcast. So you can check out any of those ministries they were talking about. Um, appreciate you guys, what you're doing. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Nick. We love Legacy Helms. <laughs> yes, we do. We love you guys. Thanks for coming on. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening in today. Don't forget to check us out online at LegacyHelms.org or any of our other platforms such as iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or Player FM. Please subscribe and write a review for us. We want to hear what you have to say. If you need t-shirts for your next big event, we've got you covered. Visit us on the website and click on the t-shirt quote page under t-shirts. If you would like Nick or Kendra to preach at your next retreat, revival, or camp, fill out the contact us form online under preaching. If you want to send us an email and get in contact with us, please do so and send it to legacyhelms at gmail.com. And as always, remember, don't let your meat loaf or your mop flop.